Abraham Lincoln. Louisiana Purchase, that's a name. You need to really get off my balls, okay? I'm gonna kick your ass. Also, why was Michelangelo so stinky? Ew. Welcome to a very special edition of All You Can Hear podcast. I'll be your host today, Patrick, and joining me today is a very special guest hailing from California. We have writer, comedian, director, and all-around Garfield enthusiast, Joey Clift. How are you today, Joey? Uh, how's it going, Patrick? I, uh, I hope that it's a special episode because we're not recording on a Monday. Oh. Oh, thank God for that. Yeah, just like, oh, I mean, I guess you could be listening to this on a Monday. Yeah, we're recording it on a Saturday. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm also, we're both barefisting lasagna while we're having this conversation for sure. I keep like a wet nap nearby just in case. The, the, <laughs> the, the paws get a little too greasy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, if you hear chewing noises or anything like that, it's just, we're just eating lasagna. Honestly, like our audience is used to mouth noises because we do taste tests over our podcast. So they're used to like munching and chewing. Wait, what is, okay, so what is the most delicious thing that you've taste tested and what is the grossest thing that you've taste tested? Oh, that's a, we, we've done so many taste tests. Probably one of the best taste tests we've had um, is probably during our Friendsgiving 2018. Everybody made a international dish and uh, one of my co-hosts is Filipino and he brought his family's like lumpia and like their like traditional family meal and it was amazing. It's probably one of my my best things that we ever had on the show. As for the worst thing, it's probably during our cooking competition episode where we had to make a radical new form of omelet. Wow. One of our co-hosts made a green tea omelet and it looked and tasted like baby shit. <laughs> yeah, I've I've done that not for like cooking competition purposes, but um I remember when I was uh, when I was in college, there were a few times where it's like, you know, it's like 11 o'clock at night and you're hungry and you don't want to like go to the go to like a fast food place or something like that. But you also don't really have like a ton in your like, you know, refrigerator. So you're just like, how can I get creative with like what I have? So there was one time where I like I only had like uh, spaghetti noodles, Parmesan cheese and green tea. So I was like, oh, I guess I'll boil the spaghetti in green tea and then just cover it in parmesan uh it like i remember it was fine but like i've also never tried that again <laughs> yeah usually our, our experiments are usually one-offs sometimes uh, someone had like a big brain culinary moment it reached out to something good but uh I think that's that's just one for the uh, the history books. It stays in the past. Nice, nice, nice. Wait, what was the what was the best omelet that somebody made for that uh, competition? Uh, actually, my omelet won the om- the omelet co- uh, competition. I made a taco omelet. Hell yeah, that sounds. Wait, so was that okay? So a taco omelet was that like was there a shell around the omelet? Was that were there was there like uh, Doritos or something within the omelet? Like what was the what was the shell aspect of this omelet? 
Well, you know, I had the uh, the, the main portion of the omelet, which, you know, the eggs. Uh, but then I had th- uh, the Mexican three cheese. I had um, little bits of tortilla, soft tortilla torn up and sprinkled in there. And then a plant alternative um, taco meat. And uh, that was all folded together. And that was the taco that won. And I, I've, I've had it for dinner several times since. It's just like, oh, yeah, that's something I made. And it was actually really good. Yeah, that's like, I feel like I, I'm not a great cook. But I feel like I've, I feel like if I want to, like, treat myself, I do something that's, like, basically an omelet. But, like, I don't, like, fold it as well as an omelet. But it's sort of, yeah, it's like, it's like vegan cheese from Trader Joe's. It's like meat replacement lunch meat, like feta cheese. And then just a you know a ton of really nice like fennel pepper over it or something like that, and like I usually you know put some parmesan on it or something like that you know with a ton of eggs and it's just like a good it's just like a good uh, it's a good treat myself meal. And plus it was pretty easy to make. Uh, I know this might be a a bit of a weird intro considering what we're talking about today. <laughs> no, we are we are but we are talking though this this makes sense because we're <laughs> we're the predators of the food that we're eating. Yeah. Much like how the we you get it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, we're, we're hunting down the wild omelets as they roam through the woods. It's very apropos because all you can hear is, for all the new listeners out there, all you can hear is a banter podcast. We talk about everything from movies to anime to food. We have cooking competitions. Like we said, we play games. So it's a weekly variety show. And this week, our flavor is we're sitting down discussing the surprise hit of the summer the newest installment of the Predator series, Prey, now streaming on Hulu. And my special guest, Joey, is here to talk about his appreciation of the film and I'm assuming of the larger Predator franchise and just sort of like get into like all the really cool, interesting things that this new installment brings to the series. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I can't wait to dive in. I, I got to say, going into this, I would say I was like a fairly casual Predator fan where, you know, I, of course, saw and loved the first Predator movie. You know, Predator 2 was super fun. Um, I remember seeing the Predators when it were Predators when it was in theaters, uh, you know, like about a decade ago and thinking like, you know, I like the concept. I think there was some cool stuff going on. Um, I didn't get a chance to see the Shane Black, the Predator, but I heard that it was kind of a reboot. So as far as like lore stuff and things like that, I don't necessarily need to be like caught up on that to know all things Predator. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, just, you know, as a nerd, I, of course, love the Alien versus Predator PC game and the Alien versus Predator movies were really fun. So, you know, like I, I, like I don't I don't necessarily like you know, read the comics. I don't have like a a predator tattoo on my arm or anything like that, but I I would consider myself like a fan of the series. And, you know, if you break it down to something that's basically just like the most dangerous game, but with like crazy aliens, uh, every movie, like how can you go wrong? You know? And I think what they did with this movie, it really opens up to like even more like new, new, like new little factions of the story because like this film, it takes place in the uh, 1700s in the, uh, the Comanche territory of Oklahoma. And, and it's just because of this movie, people are just like, Oh boy, we can have predators fighting different warriors throughout time. And I feel like that's a great way to kickstart the franchise again after like, I know people have their certain opinions on the intermingling installments, but I feel like this is a great new jumping on point. Yeah, well, I, I think that, like, a, a couple of things to that. Like, I really loved, like, Prey was such a great Predator movie, and it was also such a great movie. And I also just really loved, you know, the characters in the film. Like, Amber Mid-Thunder's character was, she was an amazing lead for a Predator film. And, you know, like, I, I really want to see the the future installments of that story um, especially because, um, you know, uh, hardcore Predator fans, I'm sure, caught um, the uh, flintlock pistol 
that she takes from that French fur trapper um, and she um, gives to one of her tribal elders at the end of the movie is the same flintlock pistol that um, the predator gave to um, uh, Danny Glover at the end of Predator 2 mm-hmm. as sort of like a war trophy for, you know, killing that one predator. So, you know, presumably that opens up the question of like, wait, how did Amber Midthunder, how did that like, you know, 300 years in the future, that flintlock pistol get from Amber Midthunder's character to Danny Glover's character in 1997 in Los Angeles, you yeah. know? Um, so, you know, like, and there are also some like interesting, you know, like things that were played up of like, you know, at the end of the film, um, in that really cool um, animal hide um, animated sequence, kind of t- telling the story of the film. At the end of that, a bunch more predator ships co- um, co- show up. So, like, I really want to see, like, you know, what that's about. And, like, I feel like there's a lot of missing pieces to that story. But in addition to that, like, yeah, I agree. Like, I think that, you know, like, if they wanted to do something that was sort of like, you know, the Predator but the Avengers kind of thing, <laughs> where it's sort of like, you know, like, where it's sort of like, the, you know, maybe they do a sequel to Prey, but then maybe they do another Predator movie that takes place in the 1800s with, like, Samurai or something like that in Japan. And then they could do that with a couple of different, like, time periods and groups. And then what they've established with Predators is sometimes they'll kidnap people and take them to, like, essentially a game planet to hunt them. So what if they did that for, like, five different people and the Predators all took all these people and then you kind of get, like, a superhero team up that's, like the Amber Mid Thunder character teaming up with like an 1800 samurai teaming up with an, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they've got to fight a bunch of predators and like, that would be cool. You know? I mean, I definitely am fully on board with more installments of prey because to me, like Amber Mid Thunder, she's already a superhero. Like she really uh, nailed this role and, and just like her physicality, just like her wherewithal, be able to just, just her observation of all the different little like behaviors that the feral predator had throughout the film. And just like putting that all together bit by bit until like their final confrontation i thought that was great she, she just she did a great job carrying the film and i'm i would love to see her story like continue because like you said that sort of little key piece that the flintlock from uh excuse me Raphael. how does that get to the the modern the, the well the the more less modern day more modern day uh because you're like well Oh no! Do the predators come back for revenge, or do they have like this sort of moment of mutual respect? No, here, here's a real trophy for you. That just a big hanging thread. I'm like, I want to know more what happens. Like, give <laughs> us our friend's head back, please. <laughs> yeah, I, I really appreciated. Like, you know, like I mentioned earlier, like this was a great predator movie. Like, this was a great predator movie. Like, I feel like the reviews are, you know, saying that this is the best predator movie since the original and also maybe Mm -hmm. just the best predator movie, which like, you know, I, I agree with that. It's like, I think that talking to a lot of friends, people are even saying like, you know, it's sort of like predator is one a, and this is one B they're kind of like tied neck and neck for best for best predator film. And, you know, like, I think that, just the story of this movie just as a movie was so great. Like it was so cool to see the Amber Mid Thunder character, you know, go through her journey to, um, you know, basically like everything that you learn about her character in the movie is something that pays off later in the movie and her figuring out how to kill this predator. Like there's the, um, the orange petaled flowers at the beginning of the movie that she, um, gives to somebody as like a form of first aid, um, you know, after the, the cougar attack. And then, um, you know, the guy starts, you know, kind of feeling not great. And she's just like, oh, it'll cool your blood. Don't worry about it. And then she takes the same thing later in the movie to make herself invisible to the predator when she realizes he has thermal vision. Uh, Yeah, there's so many moments like that where it's like everything, 
everything at the start of the movie that's set up pays off at the end of the movie. And that's just like satisfying storytelling, you know? I do appreciate how there's like a little swerve in there because like the final confrontation happens in this like peat swamp and she falls into the swamp earlier. They're like, oh, okay, she's going to pull a bit where she covers herself in mud. But then a little subversion, she uses um, that flower. I think it's like the pot marigold because I did a, I did a little research and that's that was a flower that was used traditionally in like herbal healing to like stem uh blood loss for like blood pressure and i thought that was really cool how she repurposed that in like her combat yeah it's um and and you you pointed on something that i thought was really cool like i even like i watched prey and then i went back and watched the first predator movie just to kind of try to figure out like do i like this better than the first predator movie and um you know, there are so many, like, subtle, cool callbacks to the first Predator. You know, you mentioned um, Amber Midthunder falling into mud and then her using the mud in a completely different way to kill the Predator than Arnold Schwarzenegger did in the first Predator film. Um, you know, there are also a lot of other really cool callbacks. Like, I mean, you know, the, like, if it bleeds, you the can kill it. Line. Like, that, like that. I, um, yeah, like, I was, um, I was uh, actually invited to the Predator premiere, the Prey premiere in Hollywood a couple weeks ago. And, like, seeing that line said in a room full of people, uh, that was, like, what a what an applause break. And even just, like, even just, like, the context that the line is said, like, in Predator, I feel like Arnold Schwarzenegger is saying it was just, you know, like, 1980s bravado kind of thing. Um, whereas the way that the um, Dakota Beaver's character says it, Amber Midthunder's character's uh, brother, is, like, it's less, there's not, not as much bravado, and it's more just, like, him trying to convince his sibling that if they work together, they can kill this thing. You know, it's just like, there's an, there's an emotional element to that line that I really appreciate. And it even goes down to like the first shot that you see of Arnold Schwarzenegger in the first predator movie, he's like smoking that big cigar. And then the villains in this movie in prey are all smoking cigars. And to the point that a cigar is seen as an evidence that these French trappers, uh, you know, killed all these Buffalo and stuff like that. And then there's even just like other interesting stuff of like the first predator movie is basically about Arnold Schwarzenegger running and taking an invading force into, um, a people's homeland. Whereas this is about like the people who are from a homeland defending it from French traders, as well as the freaking predator, you know? And, um, and you know, there's even, I think the, um, the, um, the first Predator movie, um, the, the the native character, um, he cuts himself with a machete across the chest to before he challenges the Predator um, on that like log bridge, and then the French trappers cut the Dakota Beavers character's chest in like kind of the same way for sort of the same purpose to act as like bait, and yeah, it's just there's so many like kind of like subtle but like interesting callbacks where it's like oh it's not it's not like reference heavy they're not just they're not just aiming for fan for you know except for the you know the the um if it bleeds you can kill it um, line they're not aiming for audience applause it's not fan service it's just like interesting subversions of things from the previous movie it's definitely it's a natural like integration of those little like references to the to the to the larger mythos and i, I was actually going to mention the um the part where dakota beavers would get slashed across the chest because that was something i found in my research and i just love that they they that dan trattenberg specifically mentioned in the in one of his interviews the the purpose to show the, the three faces of hunting over the course of this film how the comanche they're hunting for food for survival the french trappers are hunting for for uh monetary gain and uh 
predators are hunting for glory. And on the predators path line here, I do think it was interesting that this predator is not only physically different from the rest of the species that we've seen so far, like his particular nonverbal character is different from the rest of them because like, whereas he's using a lot of his technology to fight the, the trappers and, and through Tabe and Naru, but at no point does he sort of disengage with that to to make it more even like they have like the predators have done in the previous series and and in fact the the feral predator as he's called like he takes a more cowardly approach like he he turns on his invisibility and then stabs tabe through the back which that wouldn't really be part of the honor code that certain other predators had followed yeah, I mean, I think that like the the story of this movie, which I think is so one of one of the many things I like about it, is that you're seeing um, Amber Thunder's character Naru, her basically it, it's like her rite of passage, her her quest to her rite of passage, while the predator. It's also like pretty clear that this is the feral predator's first hunt, right? Like it's something that you see kind of over the course of the movie. Is like the predator lands. And he, um, you know, like slowly works his way up the food chain to clearly figure out what is the top of the food chain on this planet. Um, so, you know, and he, you know, like he fights a wolf and like he gets like kind of messed up by the wolf a little bit. He like definitely like almost loses that fight with the bear. Um, you know, you see him kind of it's his quest to like clearly hit his rite of passage as well as Naru's and like their intersection at the end of the movie is like just a knockdown drag up brawl. It's the coolest thing ever. And you know, so I, I think that he's a predator that's probably a little bit less confident in his abilities. And he's not, he doesn't, like, totally cheat. Um, you know, he does, like, like a lot of the story of the movie is that it's clear that he view, he doesn't attack something that he views as lower on the food chain. You know, like, he, um, he, he kills yeah. a snake, but not a rabbit, you know, like... Um, or he kills like the wolf, but not the uh, but not the rabbit that the wolf was chasing, and like that's kind of the whole thing with like you know Amber Midthunder's character is that um, like the predator is like at first doesn't kill her even though he has the opportunity to because he just assumes that she's like a rabbit, and then you know we learn at the later movie later in the movie that like oh yeah that was like that was where he uh, really messed up is uh, maybe he shouldn't have discounted. Uh, one of the coolest action heroes of the 2020s. And plus, that, that kind of leads into, like, previous established, like, Predator lore that they typically don't actively hunt or attack, you know, like, women or children. And I don't know if that's something that's always been ingrained, but that, that does sort of fall, like, a certain thorough line. And it's just been, it was just really cool to see, like, the escalation of their abilities because you see um, when the Predator goes through his, like, just cleaning of house of the trappers in like the burnout forest one of the big like show pieces of the movie like to me that was a really awesome moment and he really shows off his technology like the, the whole decapitation on the tree iconic iconic and <laughs> yeah. then when amber just has like her final exam at the of hunting at the very end where she takes his helmet and uh, she realizes that the helmet tracks the the bolts that his um, gun fires and then she sets up spikes on trees because she knows the hunter the predator hunts through trees like it's just she just takes the sum total of all of her experience and the experience of other people like basically sort of like blood of herself and others it sort of paid the path for this final confrontation for her to win well yeah and uh and you know i gotta say like i'm like i'm native american enrolled cowlitz i grew up in the Tulalip reservation which is not comanche territory it's more pacific northwest but um i saw the premiere in a room full of just like other native people in Hollywood who were also invited to it. 
And uh, when the Predator murdered all of those French trappers, and then the next scene, Ember Mid-Thunder murdered a bunch of French trappers. What a cloud. <laughs> what a crowd pleaser. Just like the, the applause breaks on those were like, like, it's just, I think that I was like high-fiving people that, that I didn't know around me because it was just so dope. <laughs> like, And plus it, it helps that, you know, the trappers were just like so just cartoonishly evil on top of like any sort of historical oh, like, yeah. bastardry they may have uh, done because I, I think that was the reason why they were specifically French because uh, I think 1719 was their first year that their French went into Comanche territory for their trapping purposes so like that's historically very cromulent as well well yeah and like I had a like a, I, I watched the um, the Comanche dub they uh, th- this movie it's available on Hulu um, it's um, they recorded it in English, but they also recorded a dub of the film entirely in the Comanche language, and um, the, it, the, all the the native characters speaking Comanche. The French characters still speak French, but I watched that cut with a friend of mine who's fluent in French, and he was like translating the French trapper dialogue for me, like while they were talking, and like, oh yeah, it's all the most just like <laughs> shit heel like stuff possible, where it's like there is nothing redeemable about these characters. Um, yeah, and also. I mean, you know, something that I appreciate about this is like it's great as a movie, but it's also like the native representation of this movie is just nuts. This is for sure the first movie to ever be dubbed entirely in Comanche. Um, this is the first uh, movie in the history of Hollywood, the first major motion picture starring a native woman as the lead, um, you know, with a largely native cast. Um, you know, they they had a really great um, producer who's Comanche named Comanche named Jane Myers who. Um, you know, made sure that all the representation in the film was really good. I know, I know that they like worked directly with the Comanche Nation, showing Comanche people and elders and members of the tribe cuts to like just make sure that everything was like proper and accurate and cool and accurate to the time. And like, you know, like so it's I, like I appreciate it. This is like a ten out of ten as a movie. But then when you add just like the amount of work that they put into just like making the native representation good, like great, like it's like oh, this is this is just like. 200% 20 out of 10 amazing you know all aspects of this movie are great I know this movie comes on the heels of just like this this, re- this insurgence of just like really cool like like indigenous programming like we have Reservation Dogs Thriller uh, Rutherford Falls I watched um, Dark Winds earlier this week and it's like it's all really good stuff and and a lot of it is horror tins like Prey is like the predator series has been so there's just, just a lot of really great stuff that's coming out right now and, and i think it's awesome that do, we get to have this at the at this moment right now yeah it's very it's just very like exciting to see like i like i um i moved to los angeles in 2010 um to you know pursue being like you know comedy tv writer and you know even you know from 2010 to like 2018 or so it's just like night and day in the, um, I would say the interest that Hollywood had in like, you know, telling native stories. And I feel like, you know, like uh, native representation in movies, you know, hopefully it isn't news to the people listening to this podcast, wasn't great for a long time. You know, we had, it's like, you know, we were basically just like, you know, faceless villains for John Wayne to murder for decades. And then for a long time, we had like native characters they were like very broad stereotypes played largely by like non-native actors, which was weird for a whole lot of reasons. 
And um, what's so cool about, you know, I, I would say, you know, the the, the the sea change that we're seeing is now we're getting native stories in movies and TV shows where there are like native people in like large creative leads. Like Re Reservation Dogs was co-created by Sterling Harjo, who um, is like a dope native uh, director, writer. Um, Rutherford Falls was, uh, was co-created by Sierra Tello Ornalis, who um, is an amazing um, Navajo Diné TV writer. Um, you know, like I mentioned, Jane Myers was like a high level producer brought in very early on in this film to, you know, just like make sure that the rep was in good shape and make sure that like the right people were hired in different positions. And then that even like trickled down on Prey where like, you know, Jane Myers was a high level producer. And then because she just like knows native people who are professionals, they had like native folks in pretty much every department on the film and even like gave um, opportunities and opened up space for um like up and coming, you know, native folks to like, you know, intern on the film and like kind of, uh, you know, be an apprentice in different departments to just like get their foot in the door in the entertainment industry. And, um, you know, it, it is just, uh, I feel like, yeah, I feel like we've seen a sea change that, you know, uh, it's just cool to see. And it's like, it's something that I'm also aware that it's like, it's definitely on the backs of, you know, a hundred years of people working really hard for us to get to this moment where we can have Amber Midthunder is the next Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know? Yeah, for real. It's like, because I was thinking after the movie, it's like, I just want a Naru action figure now. I want to go to Target and get a Naru action yeah. figure, get to chase with, like, the glow blood uh, paint on her. Like, I do, I do think she did a stellar job, and I'm... Sorry, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, like, I, like I want a Naru action figure, but I also want, like, I, I can't wait for the second level of press where, like, Native folks just, like, uh, co-opt uh, prey stuff to like sell more native stuff so it's like I want to go to a powwow and be able to buy like an Indian taco or a meat pie filled with predator meat <laughs> like you know like it's like I can't wait for that put some green food coloring on that and like I'll spend 10 bucks extra for that Indian taco exactly. I, I love that I did want to go back a beat you, you said you were able to go to the premiere in Hollywood do you mind talking about what that experience was like in a bit more detail it's a big Hollywood premiere, so it was in a really nice theater in um, West Hollywood. Uh, you know, there was a red carpet, you know, photos, press where they were taking photos and all that stuff. And I think that what what's really cool about this is that um, Native Hollywood is fairly small. There's, um, I would say, like, you know, a couple hundred Native folks working in the entertainment industry. And um, because of that, whenever there are events like this, um, everybody kind of shows up for it or everybody gets invited to it. So, like, it's it's not just like a celebration of, you know, this amazing film and all the people that worked on it, but it's also kind of a celebration of like, oh, all of us like worked together to make this happen. Like, you know, even if I, like I didn't work on Prey, I didn't have anything to do with it, um, you know, as a, as a professional, but like I have a ton of friends who are like mentioned in the credits. I have a lot of friends that, you know, worked on it in various stages. So like, it really feels like, you know, we're all celebrating each other's victories by going to something like this. And like I said, it's just also like, you know, amazing to see, you know, Amber Midthunder uh, murder the freaking predator as native people jump up and cheer in the stands because it's like cool as shit. And also we've never had the opportunity to see something like this in a Hollywood motion picture, you know, where like native people... We're not the cannon father, fodder, we're the heroes, you know? And I, I think that's that's incredible. And like I... Like you said, like just you see so many familiar faces because I know when I started like purposely seeking out like more indigenously created stuff, it's like it's like oh yeah, I recognize them and them and them and like Taika knows used a lot of people from 
yeah. reservation dog. So like, it's just really cool to see like, yes, finally they're getting like this, this big moment. And like, I want this push to continue because like, there's so many awesome stories that are being told right now. And like, there are so many more waiting to be told. I want, I, I just want to tell as many people as I can, because like I started watching reservation dogs and then I got my roommates on that. And then like, we were just, hooted and hollering over the season two premiere the other day yeah it's just like it's so good like how could how could not anyone like not find it enjoyable or find like some just general like connection with the stories being told what i think is so cool about this um you know i would say like sea change in native stories like um like i'm uh I'm uh, currently writing, I'm a writer, consulting producer on a show called Spirit Rangers that comes out on Netflix um, in a couple months. It's like the first ever kids show in the history of US TV created by a native person with an all native writer's room and like native characters played by native actors and native folks working all over the production. And something like I've really noticed about like the shows that the, the stories that we're telling is like, oh, these are like not that dissimilar than the types of stories that you'd see on other kids shows. It's just because we've never seen like the native viewpoint on these stories or the native angle on these stories, they feel immediately fresh, you know, and like, you know, like, uh, like predator, like prey is the, what the like sixth or seventh predator movie or something like that. There have been a good number of predator movies before this, but we've never seen the angle of the, of predator specifically through a native woman trying to achieve her rite of passage, which is like a very like you know, native, it's a very native thing and a very specifically Comanche thing, but it's also like, because, you know, I think there's even, um, a, like a, a secondary title for the film where you can see posters of it that I believe is like, um, it's, uh, Kudamea, which means rite of passage in Comanche. And like, but that's also like, you know, I feel like we all like, even though that's like a very specifically Comanche thing, that's sort of like the, you know, the the narrative push of why the Amber Midthunder character does what she does. It's also like, I don't know, I feel like regardless of like your upbringing or race or culture, we all get like being a kid wanting people to take you more seriously, you know? Like, so it's like, it's specific, but also it's something that we can all relate to, you know? And like Reservation Dogs, same deal. It's like, we can all relate to like, I don't know, being a teenager, getting into trouble with your friends, you know? Like regardless of yeah. and like wanting more than what your your environment can give you. Yeah, and it's like that's something that you know, like it being based on a reservation in Oklahoma with like native, largely native characters. It's like yeah, that, that there's definitely like specifics to that, but those specifics make it universal. Like, um, and I, I think that that's something that's like so exciting to me about all these stories being told is like, I think that it's like showing people who like maybe only knew native people through like native sports mascots or whatever. <laughs> That like, oh no, we're just like, we're just humans trying to do our best, you know? Something I remember that was being said, like, you can't consider a story or a genre a dead horse until everyone from every viewpoint has got to play in that sandbox, so to speak. So you can't say like, oh, that predator, you know, blah, 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 that's been done before. Well, not everyone's got a chance to like take on this, you know, this story, like this like action, horror, sci-fi adventure. So like until everyone gets their chance to you know, step up to the plate and you can't really call it tapped out. Yeah. And it's also like, I, um, so, um, a lot of, I think that the feeling that like I have and a lot of my, just like, you know, like the, the things I'm seeing on like native Twitter and just talking to like, you know, just other native friends in Hollywood about it is like, what's so cool about predator is like, you know, like I mentioned up until recently, we didn't really have a lot of like 
positive native representation in the media. And that has like real, like there are like studies that has like real psychological effects on if you only see yourself represented as like, you know, like a red face wearing caricature sports mascot, like that definitely, that directly translates to like native kids having low self-esteem, which directly translates to like low high school graduation rates and college enrollment rates among native folks, which is some of the lowest of any group. Also, just like, I mean, real talk, just like high suicide rates among Native folks, which is some of the highest of any ethnic group. And like, I think that that's directly caused by us not not feeling like there's potential potential for us to just even exist in like a prosperous way in the modern day. And if the only thing that we see ourselves as is, like I said, sports mascots or just like weird trauma porn, clearly told by a not Native lens, it just like fucks with you, you know? So to go from that to like me being a to go from that to like a native kid watching prey and being like i'm native and i could fucking kill the predator if i wanted to it's just like what a cool like empowering you know like like it just it just like it just fills you with a level of like pride for your culture and i know this is you know it's this is a popcorn movie but it's like if you've never had like a popcorn movie where your people like you were the hero before to have that is just like such a warming feeling that you know i hope every person gets to feel that way like you know not just native folks i hope that like you know name a marginalized group i hope that they have a predator movie where they can watch it and think hell yeah i could kill the predator too if i wanted to maybe somewhere down the line we get we get the gay predator fighting action here hell yeah i wholeheartedly agree everyone gets it needs a chance to make to feel like a hero they feel like like they can be the badass and like just just stand up and cheer like hell yeah that's that's uh someone that that I, I resemble kicking ass on on the on the big screen. That that's a feeling that I, everyone should be able to experience. Yeah, it's just every, every. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head, and like everybody everybody should be able to feel like a hero or a badass through the media that they watch. You know, like, and I don't. Yeah, it's like it's like I feel like we're we're in the middle of seeing a lot of that stuff for native folks for the first time ever, and it's like the feeling that that's making me feel. I just I want everybody to be able to feel that way because it's just such a good. I don't know, just like fucking dope is cool shit, cool feeling, you know? Exactly. All right. Well, I think this is a good point for us to tie it off for the moment. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back into our conversation with Julia Cliff about Prey and a whole lot more. Hang tight. Welcome back, part two of our prey discussion with my special guest Joey Cliff. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to dive back in. Yeah, and just sort of picking back up, get back to the uh, movie specifically. Just like I was really blown away by just like how beautiful the movie was. Just like just the huge scenic, like sweeping shots they did. They they really want to let you know that they were filming on location for a lot of this movie, and and like how a lot of the movie was quiet. It was sort of like contemplative to let you just sort of take in everything around you yeah i believe that this was um specifically filmed um on uh indigenous land i believe um stony nakota land in canada which is kind of near alberta mm-hmm. and um something that's really interesting about that is that um amber mid thunder actually is part uh she's like uh, one of the tribes that she um uh claims uh association with is the nakota tribe so it was kind of like on her people's indigenous land in canada that they shot it which is really cool 
Um, and uh, yeah, the, the movie just looked beautiful. And this is Dan Trachtenberg's second film. Um, his film before this was um, 10 Cloverfield Lane, That's right. which was amazing. It was like probably my, best clo- my favorite Cloverfield film. And, you know, I got to say that movie was so claustrophobic in how it was shot that I didn't think he had this in him. Like of one, these amazing just like just like shots that look so beautiful that they might as well be paintings. And then also just like the cool action scenes, because like 10 Cloverfield Lane was just such a slow kind of quiet claustrophobic movie where this was just like, you know, the wide open yonder. And uh, yeah, uh, it just like looked there were so many moments of this film that like it bums me out that it's not in theaters because it just looks incredible on a theater screen because i definitely would i would love to see this in like the full theatrical capacity because i um i know it might be a little taboo to certain filmmakers out there but um, i'm sorry david lynch i did watch this on my ipad i know i dispersed cinema but even up close it looks great and i think it was just that much more impactful on like the bigger uh on the bigger screen yeah, it's like, well, then there's also things where it's just like the sound design in the movie was like, you know, I think that like looking at interviews, Dan Trachtenberg, um, he knew that this was going to go straight to Hulu like fairly early in the film's development. But it feels like he didn't he didn't use that as a reason to get lazy about anything. Like the sound design is like very much like, you know, watching it in the theaters. It's like, oh, yeah, this was like made to be in theaters. And like the shots are so cinematic and big in that like, like, nothing about this feels like a streaming movie, you know? There's a part that makes me think, you know, it, it is very, like, video game, like, toyetic in a way, in, in certain aspects, because the opening crawl, when the Prey logo descends down, it made me think, like, this is the loading screen for, like, a, a, a game that I've been wanting to play. Like, you know, I, I, would, I, I would want the video game adaptation of this game where, you know, Amber Mid-Thunder is just roaming out in the woods collecting... Uh, different parts and pieces and then having like the little like mini mini boss fights until the final confrontation at the end oh yeah i mean i want just like all things like if you slap the prey logo on a product i'll probably buy it like you know i'm fully expecting and endorsing that a prey like sub franchise happen because like they are clearly setting something up or you know alluding to like future stories and like i would love to see this story continue like yeah i guess and maybe another point like if you could fantasy book pray to what would you like it to have uh so if i could fantasy book pray to i think that there are okay so i think that there are two different directions that you can go with it one and this is i think close to what happens in there's a, a character in the predator comics that's like kind of similar to the amber mid thunder character where basically all of the predators come to earth um you know after this one predator was killed and then they essentially like recruit the amber mid thunder character to like hunt with them on their home planet to basically turn her into a predator kind of um because like i forget the exact name of the predator um the, the predator race of aliens but like they don't necessarily look at it as a race thing it's like anybody of any race or species could be a predator like you know it's just it's more of like an honor code and you know hunting ability thing so you know there's a version of that where she kind of gets like um you know uh recruited to become you know her own predator and then that's that could explain how she befriends the predators and then eventually gives this flintlock pistol to a predator who eventually gives it to danny glover's character in predator 2 um but another part of me like it was so satisfying to watch uh like this specifically take place in the 1700s Comanche nation that I kind of want the prey to, to be like 
the predators come to earth and then team up with the comanche nation to fight colonialism yeah it's just like i want to see like i want to see like a weird quentin tarantino-esque alternate history where like andrew jackson is in the process of signing the um the indian removal act and then like the three predator dots appear on his hand and then he gets like shot in the face with like a predator spear it's like i think you want to rethink that signature there bud yeah, 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 yeah. It's like I want, I want one of those where it's just like the predator, like the predator species in the Comanche Nation team up just to like whoop ass all around, uh, you know, colonization and stuff. Uh, gosh, that does remind me of a, a comic I think is coming out later this year, if it hasn't already. It's basically indigenous time travelers go back in time to stop Christopher Columbus from coming to America. Oh yeah, that was that's by um, I I also cannot wait for that. That's by Stephen Graham Jones, mm-hmm. who is a, an amazing native uh, writer who um, has a really great book, the, the Only Good Indians. That's like one of the top um, horror books, you know, just out right now. My Heart Is a Chainsaw is another one that he's got that um, I think recently came out. That's really good, and uh, yeah, it's it's basically native time travelers go back in time to beat up Columbus, which like sign me up. Hell I mean, yeah. that, that's just incredible. Just like the uh, the power of fantasy and. And having read uh, My Heart is to Change, so I will happily read any anything that Stephen Graham Jones decides to pen because that that book was just so much fun. It had some great imagery in it and, like, really nailed the emotional beats because there's a point at the climax. I was like, wow, this this really knocked me on my feet. And and uh, my roommate, he's actually reading The Only Good Indians right now. Well, yeah, and it's I think that that's something that's so exciting about... Um you know where we're at as far as like native storytelling goes like i was um uh i was uh, on um uh, another podcast a few days ago i believe called the real indigenous podcast where it was a lot of um other uh native folks talking about you know predator and sort of native storytelling and how it is now and somebody on the podcast made the point that um uh like when we first started with native storytelling we were telling our creation stories and then as we progressed we were telling, um, I mean, not we, but just like stories about us. We were like, you know, a little bit more like trauma-based things in the res. And like, it was a very focused and specific of like, you know, if you're doing quote unquote native storytelling, it's probably going to fit in a few of these buckets. Whereas now I think that we're hitting a point where like, there's such a diversity in genre of native storytelling. And, you know, we've been telling stories of different genres, you know, for, you know, decades and decades and decades. It's just, this is the first time that like, the mainstream media has given us like the permission to do it like yeah. uh, on a bigger spotlight. So, you know, reservation dogs and Rutherford falls are two TV comedies that are hugely different in how they, you know, are operate tone types of jokes they tell and stuff like that. And like Stephen Graham Jones is like basically doing just like native Stephen King stuff all over the place in a way that's so good and cool to see. And that's like hugely different than, um, you know, like a lot of the stories that, you know, somebody like Tiffany Midge is telling, who's like a really funny native satirist who just writes basically like, you know, kind of, uh, you know, David Sedaris style, like, <laughs> you know, satire articles. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's like we're all we're all we're all doing different stuff in a way that's like cool and artistic, artistically interesting. And I like that, you know, if you were to like say native storytelling is a thing. Like, it's just such a wide genre where it's almost, it's tough to, like, quantify it as, oh, native storytelling is this, you know? And plus something you mentioned earlier, just, like, the fact that this genre story or this type of story is being told by a different group of people, it imparts a different feeling to it. Like, um, Blood Quantum was a zombie movie that came out a few years ago with, like, with an indigenous focus and cast. And, like, some people are like, oh, isn't it just a, a bog water zombie movie? But, like, to me, like, it, to me, it really stood out. Like, I, that's a movie 
even outside of any sort of like representation that it provides. I feel like it's a movie that I really enjoyed. Like this is, there's something different about this. I kind of like one, I always bring up and sort of like, this is a horror movie that's a little undersong that needs to be looked into because like, if there's just something about it, I thought just hit different when it turns of just like in the, in the landscape of zombie movies. But then it also has like this extra like lens of like, this is an indigenous story. And, and apropos to this conversation, because it takes place with Canada's First Nations beat. Yeah, when and I think that like something that's so cool about you know movies like Blood Quantum is like one you know you mentioned it's like a bogwater zombie movie. Uh, I'm excited about it because I love zombie movies and I've never seen. There's never been a native bogwater zombie movie before this that I've been able to like you know easily see on streaming services. So you know like in terms of representation, just that as a zombie movie fan, I can watch a native zombie movie is dope. I would definitely recommend that. Um, if you have Shutter, seek that out. Also, uh, Trickster is a short form uh, horror series on there. Another really good um, indigenous story uh, in in the lens of horror. And like, they're both worth seeking out. And something that's so cool about, I think, um, you know, a lot of these, uh, you know, movies and TV shows and things that we're talking about is that like, you can see kind of native Hollywood being an indigenous Hollywood being in communication with each other in that, um, you know, Blood Quantum stars Michael Gray Eyes, who is also one of the stars of Rutherford Falls on Peacock and also one of the stars of um, Wild Indian, which is another really great um, film that you can see. Um, it also starred Kiowa Gordon, who um, is now one of the stars of Dark Winds, who, which also stars Zon McLaren, who is featured very regularly in Reservation Dogs. And then like, you know, uh, like uh, Devery Jacobs is one of the, st- also in Blood Quantum, and she's also one of the stars of Reservation Dogs. And Gary Farmer is like, somebody who's just like a legendary native actor who was in, you know, Powwow Highway, which is a really fun native road trip comedy that came out in the 80s. And he's like on in all of these things. And like, it's it's very cool that we're, you know, uh, these projects, um, you know, might feel unrelated, but like, like I mentioned, like Native Hollywood is pretty small and we're all, if we're not working to, if we're not like directly working on these different projects, we're at least, you know, friends of friends of people who are working on these things. Mm. So if like, you know, a blood quantum comes out like, or, you know, a prey comes out. It's like native Hollywood as a whole, I feel like is just like, hell yeah, we did it, you know, in a way that is just, we're all excited about and celebrating each other's successes. And, you know, and, you know, like I mentioned, like all of the, all of the things that I mentioned are vastly different in like tone, scope, you know, storytelling, how they go about things. It's like, you know, the only thing that makes them a native story, quote unquote, is that they, have native characters in them and have like loose native themes, but they're not, you can't point to it and say like, Oh, a native movie is this, you know, or a native TV show is this. That's just the most important things. Like we like really shows that, Hey, they're, it's like, it's like everybody else. And I know it's 2022 yeah. and we like, we shouldn't be having that, that sort of thought, but like just from like my own perspective as a gay man, like having or quote ordinary stories where we just like do things, fuck up and just like have a life yeah. and, like, that's, that's messy and like full of problems. Like that's cathartic to see. Yeah. It's like, that, and that's something that um like, I, I feel like I talk to a lot of my friends in native Hollywood about in that, like, yeah, like why, like, there, there's all this cool native stuff coming out, but also like we can't wait for there to be like trashy native stuff too. That's yeah. like, you know, it's like a native like you know Real Housewives of or whatever, you know. And I'm sure, like you know, other communities I'm sure feel the same way, where it's sort of like you, you see your stories told in like a really specific lens that at a certain point feels like yeah, we can also be fuck ups and we can also be action heroes. We can also be like 
romantic leads and rom-coms and like i think that you know it's like i feel like everybody of every group should be able to feel like you know it's like yeah like i want to see like i want to see like i want to see the predator but like the main character's gay and they fucking kill the predator and that'd be cool as shit and it's like that's completely different than other you know gay stories that you see in the media and like you know i think that yeah it's just like just more representation for everybody because it just is cool and good and dope and it makes for good stuff you know and plus with just a predator franchise like being known for like crossovers and just like being so white look like everybody and their mom has had a versus with predator like i literally have the archie versus predator uh (laughs) paperback and there's a sequel to that i did not read that uh did jughead survive spoilers for archie predator i'm afraid that not even archie made it out of archie versus predator uh i really want to see the one listener who listens to this and is a big predator fan and was right about to start reading archie versus predator they just tear their archie book in half damn it he's like ugh. It's, it's a wild story, and the the sequel it sets up is even crazier. You got Betty and Veronica, like, in the Hellfire remnants of Riverdale being hunted down by, by this, the uh, Predator, like, revenge squad, and using Dylan Doyley's, like, machine, Kate, the Predator they beat, and then, like, morph him into a new Archie. And then make him think he's Archie. It's bizarre. I have I have not read enough Archie comics, but I have a lot of friends who are super into Archie comics, like specifically the modern day ones. And just like the little things that I'll see, like, you know, when at like a comic book shop with friends of just like, oh, it's like Archie comics, but a zombie movie. Hell yeah. <laughs> like, it's just I like I, I appreciate the the chances they're taking with what you know, is a fairly vanilla character from the 50s, you know? To me, Archie's the most fun when it's, like, a, a weird, sordid flavor at it. Like, you know, with the, with the Archie yeah. zombie story with um, when Veronica becomes a vampire and, like, you know, I'm an unabashed yeah. fan of Riverdale and how it went from, like, a teen mystery show to literal superpowers at the end of the series. Like, just uh, the bat shit that that entails. Like, y- yeah. I think, like, when you have something that's just so, that's so rife, for introduction of like new elements i think i can't wait to see for you know the eventual um white prey versus because like marvel is doing the predator comics right now and i fully anticipate for them to like franchise this or have like naru show up in like a big multiversal scramble like new secret war starring prey yeah well yeah when well, um i mean that that yeah I, i'm also like so excited about like it's it's clear that Everybody who worked on this and the studios and the streamers understand that Prey was a hit. It was like literally the number one. It's literally the number one thing to ever come out on Hulu. TV show, movie, like top numbers of everything on Hulu ever in the history of this platform. And, you know, I think that that's something that Hollywood is going to take notice of. And like, yeah, like I would love to see, you know, Naru in the next like, um, you know, in the next like you know team up fighting game that that comes out through the disney umbrella or whatever like i would love to see that character you know appear in you know like you said like extended predator marvel comics and stuff like that and yeah you know like i hope that they you know make some naru action figures just because i am a dork and want them (laughs) like you know um it's just it's it's cool to see like yeah just it's just like an exciting movie for about a million different reasons you know yeah this was just like a really fun movie if nothing else like it's just a fun solid movie and i think anybody could get into it. and and just on top of you know what you're saying it being so popular 
like just about everybody I know that's seen it not only has liked it but like really enjoyed it like one of their favorites for the year oh yeah like I think that this I, I think that this would be would have been the weekend it came out that for sure would have been the number one movie you know like if it was in theaters like like I feel like this would have beat bullet train you know um and bullet train no shade on bullet train it looks like a fun romp but it's like this like the day that this was released on Hulu like predator was the number two hashtag in the country you know um there are so many articles just glowing about how great this movie is and I feel like most of the articles at some point are like why was this not in theaters I want to see this in theaters so you know I mean like the hope is that like you know like that somebody learns a lesson and you know maybe we get like a limited theatrical one maybe like or maybe just Prey 2 comes out and they immediately green light it and put it in theaters so I can watch Prey 2 in theaters. I mean, I'm know? excited. I mean, plus they have the backing of like Predator originals like Jesse Ventura and Bill Dulles. Like, yeah. I mean, the everything's there for, you know, something bigger to come out. Like, they have a, a fantastic launching pad with this movie and just the groundswell around it. Like, all the different factors piling in. So I feel like for them not to do like some continuation of, the, of this Predator movie specifically or just in this new reinvigorated universe i feel like i mean it'd just be a misstep yeah i think that that's something that like was uh i think that some like it says a lot to how good this movie is that jesse ventura a man who famously is afraid of the internet (laughs) and like lives off the grid loved this movie so much that he got out of his bunker and went on twitter to be like pray rules welcome to the family Amber <laughs> like you know exactly it's just like a man who's afraid of the grid got on the grid to talk about how much he loved this yeah, movie yeah. and how much he loved amber mid-thunder's you know acting in this movie more of amber mid-thunder whether she's like the leader of the of the pack when it comes like just like army versus the predators or she's somehow aligned with the predators i'm i'm open for whatever they that they'd like to sell yeah across the board i mean like within the predator franchise and outside of the predator franchise like I hope that we see more of like Ember Thunder, Dakota Beavers. I hope that I can't wait to see what what the next movie that Jane Myers is going to produce. Like, it it just gave me a lot. Of, and this Dakota Beavers, the the brother in in Prey, this is his first ever acting role. He I think worked at a J Crew before oh, he was wow. in this movie. Yeah, yeah. So like, and he was incredible in this. And you know, like I really um, can't wait to see you know what happens in Prey Two. Presumably, there's I assume there's going to be a Prey Two because this is such a hit. But I also just can't wait to see like what all of the people that worked on this do and Spiderweb off into after this because it's just like an exciting movie with a lot of people that were, you know, in Hollywood terms like a little bit undiscovered, but now they're you know I think becoming kind of more just like regular everybody knows the names you know. Yeah, and I would definitely love to see you know the people who sort of get a launching point from this film and if they do a prey too like the the the, the season native actors they come to be a part of this franchise like like michael gray eyes and uh and pray to or keo gordon like you know i love their performances and and blood quantum and just like yeah just bring everybody in that everybody participate yeah for sure for sure well i think that'll about do it for our talk of pray today uh joey thank you so much for joining me today it's been a blast talking to you and just like not only just discussing the film and predator then just like just bantering in ginger it's, it's been a great time oh yeah thanks for having me patrick this was super fun um yeah, uh, definitely, uh, you know, you can follow me on Twitter at JoeyTainment. You can uh, check me out on Instagram at Joey Clift with like five or six <laughs> eyes. Um, a 12-year-old took Joey Clift with one eye, so I just had to add a bunch of eyes to it. 
Um, and uh, you know, I'll also uh, just check out uh, check out Spirit Rangers, the Netflix show that I'm working on when it comes out on Netflix in a few months. And then, uh, if you haven't watched it yet, watch Prey and follow all the people who worked on Prey. Like follow follow Amber Mid Thunder on all the socials. Follow Dakota Beavers on all the socials. Follow Jane Myers and all the socials. Just like look at the Prey credits and if and like if, follow everybody who worked on this movie and support all of their work and uh, tell your friends to watch Prey because it's just so good and a movie that I'm happy to talk about at all times. We'll just signal boost everybody that's in and around this film because they they very much deserve uh, all the claims they get from this one. So as we sign off today, a great big thank you for Joey for joining me today and every one of you for listening. We appreciate you stopping by and checking out this edition of the Argument Here podcast. We are a variety podcast recorded right here in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. New episodes drop every single Monday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. If you enjoyed this episode, I think you'll really get a kick out of our big library. A huge wealth of topics and conversations just like the one we had today. Also, the links to Joey's socials, Twitter, Instagram, and the like, they will all be in the description of today's episode. So if you want to find out more about him and the projects he's working on, there'll be dedicated links to help you check all those things out. Thank you all again for listening. Have a good day. We'll be talking to you very soon. Take care. Mm-hmm.